All right, please bow your heads with me. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this day and this chance to come and worship you, to be together as your people, and to learn about you. And we ask, Lord, that you uh, would bless this time and that you would draw us near to you. Lord, we ask a special uh, prayer for the proctors uh, as they're out vacationing. We ask that it would be a time that is restful for them and enjoyable. That they would come back refreshed when they join us again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so I wanted to start by talking about uh, kind of an overview of Proverbs. And, uh, and that's why we have the pictures up on the board that you can see there. I know it looks more like maybe a ge- geometry class. Uh, but... When we look at the Proverbs, they're kind of like the Psalms in that sometimes we don't appreciate the fact that the way they're put together is um, more intentional and more meaningful than may at first appear. A lot of people will read one proverb at a time in, uh, you know, to, to get through uh, the Bible in a year. Your schedule might have you do something like that. Or to get through uh, the Proverbs in a month, you might read a chapter at a time. But reading the chapters at a time, reading the whole book together, not necessarily in one sitting, but in a, in a short period of time, you can start to gain an appreciation for how it fits together. So I wanted to say a couple of things about that as we, as we work on extracting some of the wisdom of the Proverbs. So Proverbs are like a fractal, and that's a mathematical thing, but in, in simple terms, a fractal is a shape that's made up of the same but smaller shapes, which are made up of the same but smaller shapes which are made up of the same but smaller shapes. That's what we've got here as an example, this square. It's very easy to see how there's the big, the big square, and then these squares, and the red squares are smaller, and the blue squares. And you could do that infinitely. And the same with this here triangle. And the, the fractal actually occurs in nature as well, right? Clouds, mountains, seashores, snowflakes, uh, heads of broccoli and cauliflower are all, are all fractals. But the Proverbs are like this. The, we need to read them as verses, as chapters, as a book. Uh, the sentences are about wisdom and folly. And they build chapters that are about wisdom and folly. And they build a book that is about wisdom and folly. And uh, there's a lot to be gained from, from reading them uh, with this understanding. The, the second thing I want to say is that in Scripture as a whole and in the Proverbs of especially, uh, for lack of a better word, I'll say antonyms to get us started, uh, they are divergent. And that's the point of, of this line here that goes up and this line that goes down. They're divergent. There isn't a neutral between righteous and unrighteous, wise and foolish. Um, and there, there isn't, they don't run in parallel. They may appear to run in, par- in parallel at first, but they diverge. Uh, take, for example, uh, the thief versus the righteous man. Uh, Paul says, let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him work with his hands so that he might have something to give to those in need. So that leaves you with the idea of a miser. You know, here's some, somebody who, he's not robbing a bank, he's not giving uh, to the poor, but really, he's on the thief side of that spectrum because the Bible doesn't have a neutral place. You're either a thief, or you're giving to those in need. Another example would be from Proverbs, you have the lazy man is brother to the destroyer. 
Over and over again in Proverbs, we see people building up the house, their house with their hands or else tearing it down with their own hands. So again, the lazy man kind of appears over here on this side of the graph, and it seems like maybe he's not the destroyer, but we find out in time uh, that he is. They both have the same outcome, because if you don't maintain your house, it falls down around your ears. So the lazy man has the same outcome as the destroyer. So don't miss that time will reveal which path you're on. And they are divergent paths. So we'll come back to the test of time because that's kind of what we're going to be talking about mostly today. There's two forms of... Uh, the, the, the Proverbs take two forms of wisdom literature as you work through them, which is why we read the first nine chapters this past week. That takes the one of the main forms. The rest of the book is taken up with the second main form. And then there's a number of other uh, minor forms that are there that we won't deal with. It's only taken up a couple times and a few, a few passages. But in chapters 1 through 9, it's a longer construction, a longer narrative that tells a little bit more of a story. It builds on itself uh, to a a climactic scene, uh, which we'll begin to explore in a moment. Uh, The other form are sentences that usually come in two lines, and the second line is a direct contrary to the first line, or else the second line expands and moves the first line further along. So, we need to, let's see, I'm out of ink, so I'm reduced to using this technology, so forgive me for looking at my screen here. Uh, So, but what we want to talk about today is competence and character, and we need to lay the groundwork there in Proverbs a little bit, uh, because it's it's not uh, easy. It takes work to draw out wisdom, and we see that even in Proverbs 4-7, where it says, Get wisdom, get understanding, and with all you're getting, get insight. So that's why we're taking a, a look at this. So where, uh, where do we, how do we, how do we work it out? Uh, competence. Obviously, this isn't a class on how to be a mother or a software engineer. We're gonna we're gonna look at very high level skills in terms of competence and the why. Why it's important. These are gonna be things that. Everybody needs to be competent at in order to do anything else specific. And then the four headings I'm going to use. Now, there's probably a lot of different ways to organize this. So bear with me. It's just how I'm organizing my thoughts. I'm going to use the headings of information, time, talent, and relationships. We're going to focus more on time, talent, and relationships uh, because information is such a big topic. I'll just say a couple of words on it here in a minute, or here right now, uh, and that it starts with the Bible. It starts with Deuteronomy 29.29, where Moses says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So read the Bible every day. Read it all the way through, and read it over and over again, because that is where you're going to get the basic information that you need for this life and the next. Beyond that, read books. Uh, You need to read books about your vocation, how to be a good parent, how to be a good spouse, how to be a good employer or employee, what have you. Whatever you're doing in life, whatever you're called to, read books about it. 
The Proverbs uh, 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the problem is most of the wise are dead or else you don't know them. So read their books. Articles are for awareness and books are for insight. Uh, It was something I, I read recently that I thought was really helpful to remind us that the blogosphere is not a good source of significant information. It gives you the awareness that you need as you're looking around. Is anything going to hit me like when you're driving? Uh, But for deep insights, you need to be getting into books. Hit the books. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about information. That's the first one. Now we're going to jump into time. Next week we'll do talents, and then we'll try to kind of wrap all three of those into relationships in the third week. So that's what competence is. We're Again, information, time, talents, and relationships. For character in the Proverbs, we're going to be looking to notice characters. Proverbs is full of characters and caricatures. And we should notice them as we read through Proverbs. And uh, with that, I want to start by asking you, uh, if you're familiar or if you read this week, the first nine chapters, who the main characters are in the first nine chapters. I'll give you a couple of hints, and don't feel bad, uh, because there's the main characters and there's the supporting cast, so throw out what you know, but I'm looking for three main characters in the first nine chapters. The son, yes. I'm going to put the father in a supporting cast uh, for the moment, but look where he goes. Okay? What else? Who else? The simple. I'm going to put the simple in supporting cast. Wisdom. The woman wisdom. Main character. Cool? Um, Yes, we're going to call her the woman folly. And that'll be the other main character. Okay? But see, this is part of the the fractal concept, right? We met all kinds of characters, didn't we? I'm going to argue that as we met them, they're the little pictures, the smaller shapes of the bigger concept that begins to organize the Proverbs for us. So we have three characters, main characters in the first nine chapters. The son, the woman wisdom, and the woman folly. So let's, uh, let's look at those a little bit. The son, obviously, we begin in Proverbs 1, chapter 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and a and pendants for your neck. The son is to listen to his parents, uh, and his parents plead with him for the rest of the book to go after wisdom and turn away from folly. The woman wisdom enters in Proverbs 1, chapter 20, with... Uh, Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. In Proverbs 8, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her sand. Beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. We meet the woman wisdom up front. And then we meet some smaller squares, some smaller shapes of her uh, throughout the rest of the nine chapters, and indeed the rest of the book. We tend to miss the woman folly 
uh, because we meet all the little shapes of folly first. Uh, but, but I think that there's, there's something going on there uh, that we should, we should notice. It's almost like you meet wisdom, W, and then it expands and you, and, you, and you meet all of these other smaller shapes. And then as you're going through those first nine chapters, you're meeting all kinds of smaller shapes of folly before you actually meet the woman folly. And that's in Proverbs chapter 9, at the very end of the section, verse 13, the very last five verses, you're introduced to what you've been seeing all along. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So it's at this point that we realize that the bands of miscreants that we've been hearing about, the bloodthirsty men, those laying nets to trap people, trying to steal from people, uh, the, the simple, the fool, the scoffer, the forbidden woman, the adulteress, they're all the smaller versions of folly that build into the woman folly. So remember, we used a cloud as uh, our naturally occurring example of a fractal. It's almost like in the book, what's happening, just a couple of things again to describe the narrative in chapters 1 through 9. It's almost like when we're presented with wisdom, we're afar off and we see the glory cloud. And we're then drawn into it through the narrative. We're drawn closer and into it for an intimate knowledge and interaction with this cloud, this glory cloud of of wisdom, but for the woman folly, it's kind of like the opposite's happening. As you're going through the book, you, you're beginning in the fog and confusion of these ridiculously uh, foolish characters that are outlandish, but you're pulled further and further back until you can see it for what it is, uh, a kind of a smog hanging over Sin City. So, The woman wisdom, when we hear from her, she tells us what, woman, what wisdom looks like. With the drumbeat of the father and the mother saying, listen, my son. Wisdom tells us what wisdom looks like, what the wise do, and what the outcomes are. Wisdom also tells us what foolishness looks like, what fools do, and what the outcomes are. Wisdom tells us to accept God's discipline, to accept the discipline of our parents, and to become self-disciplined like the ant. Meanwhile, folly says, fill your belly now. Fill your purse now. Take your fill of love now. Folly doesn't say what outcomes, what the outcomes will be, and in fact, she doesn't even know what they will be. If you look at Proverbs 5, verses 5 and 6, it says, her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. So again, looking at chapters 1 through 9, it's like it's setting up a city street, not like our neighborhoods, but 
the ancient uh, neighborhood they would have been in. And at one end of the street, you have the house of wisdom. At the other end of the street, you have the house of folly. Somewhere in between, you may have another house where apparently the author of the book is peering through a lattice. Maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe Solomon. And he sees a foolish young man uh, as he looks out at the marketplace, right? The marketplace we've already heard described as wisdom calls from her house, but she also goes down and she walks through the streets and, and, and is available there and, and is known there and calls people back to her house. And Folly does the same thing. She's walking out of her house and she's lurking around corners and she's going all over the place trying to get people to come to her house. So that's the, the scene that we're seeing uh, in chapters 1 through 9. So what I think is implicit in this scene that we need to pay attention to, because I don't say too much about it, uh, is that as the descriptions and the characterizations are made, there is a time component that's working in the background, as mentioned. Wisdom talks about outcomes. Outcomes are apparent over time. Wisdom and folly will be revealed in time. You live your life. You do what you do. Sometimes others can see what you're doing, and sometimes they can't, but time will reveal whether or not you've been using it well. So how do we use it well? Time is a very limited resource. It's unique to creation. God existed outside of time. Before time, he created time. He continues to exist outside of time. He entered time in the incarnation. He will bring time to an end, and he will bring us out of time. In the meantime... He has given it to us as a resource, a unique resource. Think of the, um, the parable of the minas. Jesus talks about how the servant is given minas, ten minas. And when he's faithful with those ten minas and he, he earns ten more and the great king comes back and he gives his report, he gives him ten cities to manage instead. Minas and cities, very different. Cities are much more complicated much bigger. And we should think about why are we supposed to steward what God has given us now? Time, we're not going to be stewarding time in the new heavens and the new earth, but it's whatever time is to minas, we're going to be stewarding that to cities, right? So we need to be good stewards of the time that God has given us, uh, this unique resource that is a part of life right now. So how do we steward it? Well, it begins with the pattern of six days of work and one day of rest that we see in creation. God uh, does this himself. He calls us to do it throughout scripture. And that's where time management starts. A good description of how it works is in the confession, chapter 21, paragraph 8, where it says, This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Okay, the key words for time and the implications of the rest-work cycle are the ordering of their common affairs beforehand. When we obey God's command to hallow the Sabbath day, it starts 
the, the entire process of organizing our time and of being purposeful with our time. We are supposed to sit down at some point during the work week and plan it out and make sure that we can get everything done that we need to by Saturday evening so that we're ready to rest on Sunday. So time management and being good stewards of time begins with resting on the Lord's day. A wise man once told me, invest your time, don't spend it. Moses says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And Paul says, look carefully then how you, not, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I couldn't help but notice that both Moses and Paul, in talking about your use of time, specifically talk about wisdom and foolishness, which brings us right back to the the topic of Proverbs. Paul goes on to tell us some things that would be neglectful not to mention. Not to do with your time. Don't waste your time. Or how to use your time. Some things not to do and some things to do. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so some key principles uh, for us to take away as we try to learn more about time management would be to remember our theology. We love to remember that our God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He's predestined all things, but he also governs all things with his providence. But implicit in that is that he is a purposeful God. He has a purpose. And he is a planning God. He makes plans. So you need to have a purpose. You need to know what's most important because you know what your purpose is. You need to set goals, because you know what your purpose is. You have to know who you are, and what your mission is, and what your skills are. And these things can range from the mundane to the spiritual. You're supposed to provide for your family, and you're supposed to glorify God. Glorifying God feels very abstract, but providing for your family is very clear. I want to give a couple of examples uh, to try to make it concrete for us. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a son, a brother. I'm an officer in the church. I'm an officer in the military. Those are, that's who I am. Those are the things that end up putting demands on my time and require me to do certain things. So some mission statements. My personal mission is to enjoy God in thankfulness for his grace and to walk in integrity and humility before him. A family mission, to lead my wife and raise my children in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. A vocational mission, to work as unto the Lord, not fearing man, but knowing I will reap what I sow. A church mission, to worship in spirit and truth, discipling younger men and being discipled by older men. A household mission, to live a peaceful and orderly life with lots of room for fun with family and friends. And a social mission to love those around us, especially of the church, to evangelize the lost and edify the found. 
Okay? So, if you haven't already, think about what your mission is. We'll get to Jesus at the end. We always try to get to Jesus by the end. He knew who he was and what his mission was, right? And we're supposed to be like our purposeful planning God. So, some tips, pro tips, if you will, for uh, if you're taking notes. Uh, how do you do this? Well, you've got to have that purpose. You've got to plan, which means you create a flexible structure where you can get things done. You've got to free up your time for what's most important. Do those things first. And you need to be like Ezra. I wanted to use Ezra because he's an example of this purposefulness, and we'll see it again with Christ, that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's very specifically for Ezra about the statutes of the Lord. We need to do that, but we should also be doing that in other aspects of our lives. To set our heart to know what it is we're supposed to do, to do it, and to bring others along in those disciplines. Be ready. It's really hard to use your time well if you procrastinate, if you sleep in, if you never get dressed, right? Paul says, you must, uh, he says, stay dressed. For action. So get up in the morning and get dressed. You won't believe what, what opportunities will present themselves. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. You have to learn how to prioritize your time. Prioritize your time, I've read, or else someone else will prioritize it for you. You have to know what is important, what is not important, and what can wait until later. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Something else useful to do is um, think of time like a box that you have to fit things into. If you ever take a box that's yay big and you try to stuff five times too much into it, obviously, it's a futile attempt. Time is the same way. You need to become familiar with how to fit things into the box of time that you have. It will make you more productive in managing your time. And then seek out people who are better at this than you are. Here, I would would say we have a very young baby in the crowd who isn't very good at time management, and we have much more mature people who probably are very good at it. If you're on the mature uh, side of this, and you know this, you put this into practice, be like Ezra. Teach it to all Israel. Bring others along. Look in your sphere of influence for your your children, uh, those that look up to you, those that you can influence, and bring them along. Okay, Key tool that you're going to need for this is a calendar. If you don't already have a calendar, use a calendar. One is best, and if you can share it with your spouse, spouse, that's good too. Okay, why steward time? Just to recap, because time will reveal what you have done with it. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. In Hebrews we read, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, 
Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we get to Jesus. He is our ultimate leader. He's the one that's the same. He's the one whose life we can consider the outcome of and do consider it. He came to earth and performed his mission. He used his time very well. And now we see that as he reigns in heaven at his Father's right hand, we see the fruits, the outcomes of what he has accomplished. And it is glorious as his church grows around the world and through time. But think about Jesus for just a minute. He knew how to manage his time. He knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. Now, he was able to read the scriptures and discern who he was and what his mission was. For us, our, our mission, we have a mission to glorify God and to do his will and to generally live righteously, but we also may have a vocation that's more uh, specifically it's more specific and not provided exactly what you're supposed to do uh, in the Bible. And that's where we get back to those things where be proficient at it. Learn about it. Figure out what your mission is and go be good at it. Jesus was. He knew his mission. And he was good at it. Uh, he came, and everything about his coming is also flowing in time, right? He came in the fullness of time. He knew how to prioritize. His father's business was his priority. Doing the will of the one who sent him was his priority. He, uh, he set time aside for prayer. He knew when to withdraw and rest. He knew the importance of planning. He uses examples like you wouldn't start building a tower without counting the cost. Otherwise, you would look foolish when you couldn't finish. He was patient. He knew when to linger. He knew that sometimes if he waited, then Lazarus could die. And more glory would be brought to God uh, when he went and raised him from the dead. He knew when it was time to go to Jerusalem. In this way, he was like Ezra. It says that Ezra set himself to learn the law, to do it, and to teach it all Israel. Jesus, it says in Isaiah, uh, that he set his face like flint for Jerusalem. And you see that, right? As, the, as his disciples and even Satan uh, say, no, don't go to Jerusalem. You'll die, right? And Thomas says, oh, we may as well go with him and die with him, right? But Jesus set his face like flint to go and perform his mission on time. He knew when it was time to begin his ministry. He knew when it was time to care for ordinary rather than spiritual needs. Feeding the 5,000s, the healings, the calling John to care for Mary after his death. All of those things. So Jesus provides an example for us of how to be purposeful, how to plan, how to uh, work, how to live out uh, these, these principles in time. So with that, we can, we can come to a close uh, before I do that, I kind of want to give credit to and also commend to you some books that I've borrowed from freely. Uh, one is called Do More Better, a very catchy title. Another is called What's Best Next, both written by uh, strong Christian men, both excellent books on time management. So I commend them to you. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father God, you are the God of time, the creator of time. You've given it to us to steward and you have called us to redeem the time. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to do that. Indeed, you have redeemed it, and you are so powerful. You've said that you can restore the years that have been eaten by the locust. So we praise you for that and ask that in hope we would march out and actually try to be purposeful in planning like you are because you're working in us. Because you're sanctifying us by your spirit and you've said that you're going to complete that work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.